You can be seated. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Tim, for that uh, introduction. It is such a delight to be here. And I tell you, getting acquainted with Tim, God has brought the right guy and his wife to the right church to climb the hill that he's got planned for you. And the view from the top is going to be magnificent someday. I am just so excited to see how things are going to come together so you can move together up a mountain that is going to be absolutely superb. Well, listen, my assignment today is in 15 minutes to tell you 80 years of history of this church. (laughs) And old geezers tend to talk long anyway, so we'll have dinner about 6 o'clock at the invitation time. But it is so good, and we're going to ask you to put your your, uh, track shoes on, and we're going to really move through some of the things that God has done in that 80 years, just kind of hitting some of the highlights. Because I had the privilege of uh, being there 80 years ago when this church was started. I know it looks like it probably should be 100 years ago, but uh, 80 years ago when this church was started, and what a journey. So I want to give you that overview, and uh, in 1938, here's a picture of us in Visalia, California, and Dad was the pastor of the series, or the Visalia Church of Christ. My brother was six years old. He just went on to glory a couple of weeks ago, as we all know, but I was just three years old in that picture, and Dad got a phone call from uh, his brother, Uncle Bob asking if he would be interested in moving to San Jose to become president of a college that he was unable to start, but he'd got the buildings together, but never had a student body, and he was in his late 80s and not in good health. And so Dad thought for at least 10 seconds and said, sure, be happy to do that. And uh, Dad had a little institute there in Visalia, about 12 guys he was training for ministry, and he just jumped into it, and he was really excited about it, because here's what Dad really believed at a very early age. He believed that the best way to change culture is to start a church, and the best way to start a church is to start a college. Now, that was pretty brilliant stuff. But you've got to have a way of training guys and sending them out. And it's absolutely superb when you think about it that they sent out in the decade of the 40s over 40 guys to plant churches in Northern California and they got it done. And so dad's vision was fulfilled in that. But he realized that you can't start a college unless you've got a way to fund it. And uh, since it was an independent college, he was going to have to start a church, and he could challenge them to join his passion, and then they could start a college. And so uh, Dad uh, decided to move here in early uh, 1939 to uh, start a a church. And here's a picture of the buildings that he inherited from Brother Sanders. They were there for about five years. That's at the corner of... uh, of uh, 306 South 5th Street. It's now bought up by San Jose State and the buildings aren't there any longer. But we lived temporarily in the left-hand side. In the middle, he had built a little auditorium. On the right-hand side was the dormitory. It was the women's dorm, so it was called No Man's Land. And all the guys were supposed to stay out of it. But um, we then moved to 844 East St. John, 18th and and, uh, St. John Street. And here's a picture I took a couple of years ago when I was in town of the house that we lived in. Just a two-bedroom home. Uh, Dad purchased it in 1939 for $2,500. Probably cost a little more than that today. But $2,500. And I lived there till I was a sophomore at uh, San Jose High School. Well, in January of 1939, Dad 
decided to become an evangelist then and uh, had an evangelistic meeting and he passed out these little uh, cards here to the neighborhood and so forth. A bunch of people started showing up and 20 people in three weeks came to the Lord and were baptized. Others transferred their membership there and so forth and uh, the church was begun at that point. And then on September 18, 1939, San Jose Bible College was launched, and here is his opening uh, sermon. Uh, he just simply said to the people uh, that, um, uh, let's see, did I lose my place? This happens when you get older, um, you know. But anyway, he, he preached uh, this sermon to launch San Jose Bible College, and um, when he launched it, he talked about the values and so forth, and he stated in that sermon, he said, seven months ago, the work seemed hopeless, but God has been more than good to us. And he brought to the school 14 students who then started San Jose Bible College. And here's a picture of those 14 students, and I've got a a name over one there, Audrey West, because she was my Sunday school teacher here at Central Christian Church. It was called Church of Christ in those days downtown. But I remember running home one time with my brother barefooted from the uh, ice cream store down the street, and we would run through leaves in the street there and enjoy the, the fun of kicking the leaves all over the place and making a mess for our neighbors. And then we um, saw one that was just ashes, and I decided to run through that, and it was blisters that developed all over my feet because they were hot ashes. When I got home, my mom wanted to take care of them, and I said, no, mom, not, 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 not you. Not. She loved me, but I wanted my Sunday school teacher, Audrey West, to take care of them. And so Audrey West came out, and she popped the blisters, and I've lived happily ever after. And um, Audrey taught for us for a while. Then she went to the mission field. And she passed away just a couple of years ago at 102, having spent over 70 years in the mission field. And this church supported her through most of that journey. And so God did some marvelous things in those early years. Here's a picture of one of the first youth groups here. There's my uh, Vivian, my cousin, and uh, there's a uh, Velt standing there, and then uh, I'm standing there, and then a girl that I don't know, but I'm sure Velt would have dated her at some point along um, in the... Uh, in the journey. Um, we didn't have much money in those days. I mean, it was a, a struggle. Uh, Dad would um, uh, get a little bit of money from the church, of course, and uh, pay the, the teachers that were there, but there was no salary, so he'd just pass along a, a little hat with some money in it and say, take out what you need to feed your family uh, today. And there was a student at the college who worked for Claps Baby Food. And so he was able to pick up dented cans from Claps Baby Food, and bring those to the college. And the students and the faculty would go through it and get what they wanted. And what was left in that box, because my dad was a generous guy, let everybody else take theirs first, was fig pudding. And so we had a lot of fig pudding when I was growing up. And I would sit there and I would say, Dad, this stuff is horrible. And Dad would say, think of all the starving kids over in India. Eat it. It's good nourishment. And I'd say, Dad, box it all up and ship it to them over there in India. And uh, i got to say to you that Claps Baby Food went out of existence and they deserved to. I mean, it was really bad stuff. Now, we did not have a whole lot of things that money could buy. But I've got to tell you, we had a whole lot of things that money couldn't buy, 
called love and joy and peace and God's presence and his future and hope and all those qualities that make for the abundant life that can spill over into a world that's hurting and need what God has put into our hearts. And so I praise God for the dedication of these early people. And there were days of growth. Here's a picture of, of uh, one of our student bodies in the middle 40s there. And uh, I remember uh, there was a, a little... Uh, um, cement walkway leading up t- to the building there, and it had the plan of concrete, plan of God in concrete. In in uh, as you walked on, it said, "Here, believe, confess, be baptized, live godly," and it led up through the uh, church building. Those were days of growth, marvelous days, days of sacrifice. I think of Gordon Thompson. Here's a picture of Gordon. He was a student that dad came to me about one day and said, uh, uh, son, this is going to be a tough one for you, but um, we got a student here at the college who cannot afford to stay in school. And so we really um, want him to stay in school. If he had a bicycle, he could go to work for San Jose Mercury News and he could develop or deliver newspapers and he could stay in school. I know it's going to be a tough call for you because we didn't have much um, would you pray about that overnight and uh, let me know in the morning if you'd give him your bike for him? Well, it was a no-brainer. Dad had built into a sacrifice, sense of priorities, what's important in life that went into the student body and went into the church and still exists today here at Central Christian Church because he kind of launched that quality, that spirit. Gordon Thompson stayed in school. He went into mission work in South America and just returned about 10 years ago after 50 years of service in ministry. You just never know what the sacrifices that we make that God calls upon us to do will develop a legacy and will help build the kingdom of God. And it's built into the DNA of this congregation. Well, in 1951, San Jose State wanted our property. And so we had to move out to 12th and Virginia Streets and open a new campus there on uh, seven acres of land. And um, our property was uh, the good location there, the... um, Next slide shows uh, the sign that's out front. Church of Christ and San Jose Bible College were meeting on the same campus together. It's now Central Christian, of course. But I love the way that they made the decision to put the church above the college because the college is a child of the church. And we develop leaders for the church. And it was Central Christian Church. Church of Christ at that time that provided the opportunity for that college to become what it is uh, today. Well, the college uh, grew and it continues to grow on the new property. And here's a picture of uh, the the college and of uh, some of uh, of the church and so forth. We had a wonderful youth group when I was in high school. I remember so well uh, Benny Ingraham on the right hand side of that picture. He and Hope were our leaders, and they impacted my life in some uh, tremendous way, a godly couple who loved kids. And then in 1957, the church called its first pastor. Dad had been preaching. My Uncle Roy had been preaching all along for the church. But in 1957, we called Harold Gallagher as our pastor, and he was the first one. And I had the privilege then of for two years being the first youth minister at Central Christian Church when it was on the campus there at 12th and Virginia Streets. It was there that you guys ordained me and sent me into ministry. And uh, then uh, from 
there I went into youth ministry and into senior uh, pastoral work ministry. Returned to the college in 1970 to be dean of students. And uh, in the middle 60s, the church le- relocated over to this piece of uh, property and changed its name to uh, Central Christian Church. And my wife and I started preaching here in about uh, 1974 because you were an interim with the pastor and they just asked me to preach. And I did that for a couple of years, but as the church grew, I had to give up my work at the college and and come over here. And when we came, uh, Woody Phillips was our first youth minister. And uh, you saw that suit, uh, how nice we dressed in those days also. And uh, then Jim Yost became our next youth pastor, and both those guys left the church to go into mission work. I think uh, having to work with me helped motivate them to get out of here and to do a a bigger job. But the church continued to grow. We were blessed, and we went into a building program and built this building and so forth in the early 80s. But um, one of the highlights of our work together certainly wasn't the buildings. We need those, but was the family spirit in this congregation that has been there ever since its beginning and still exists today. And I remember going to Mission Springs Camp. For about eight years we did this. We took the whole church on a weekend. Any of you here who went to the Mission Springs family retreats? Those were fun days. We would take four or five hundred people up there to Mission Springs for a whole weekend. Remember that? That was just really great. And I'd teach the kids how to play football and a few other things. And uh, we had a lot of, uh, lot of, lot of fun there. When Harold Nepper was youth minister here in the late 70s, he uh, took kids backpacking all the time, and then he got the same message as the other former youth ministers, and he gave up and went to Africa and has been there for 15 years doing a tremendous work, and you guys sent him forth. Many of us played on church softball team here. If I didn't preach too long, we practiced on Sunday afternoons, and we had a big time together. On my dad's 50th wedding anniversary and mom's 50th wedding anniversary, we had a celebration, and there was Velt, and there's Eileen on the left, and my wife, Joe, and myself. And I just want to say thank you for your prayers for my wife. She, a year and a half ago, had three strokes, and her right side is limp. Oh. <clears throat> Can't put into words real well what uh, she thinks and what she wants to say. But uh, she understands what's going on in the world around her. She knows that I'm here today. She would have loved to have come, but she can't do that. She lives full-time in a care center. Take her out occasionally to uh, go places and to church and so forth. Go see her every day and pray with her. And, uh, but she sends her thanks to you for what you poured in her life also. And thank you for your prayers on uh, her behalf. I wish she could be with us today. Well, there's another guy that meant a lot to me and to you guys called Roger Edrington. I think you know this guy. And I just thought I'd show you that picture because he was my executive VP at William Jessup University and did everything I didn't want to do, which meant he did a lot uh, in those uh, days. But he did an outstanding job here, and I just knew that you would like to see his Mr. America legs is why I showed that uh, to you. How many of you were married here at Central Christian Church? Any of you? Yeah, there's a few of you. Performed lots of weddings, really enjoyed that. But one of Central's powerful vintage values is its missions. Many have gone forth from Central 
to become missionaries. And you still support many of these with new ones being added all the time. From the college, we have over 100 who've gone out to mission field and who are still serving there because Central Christian Church exists here in San Jose to have started it all and to continue to fund it through the years. And I say that to say thank you to you because out of 120 churches that support William Jessup University today, Central Christian Church has given the most of any church in the history of the university. You guys have given. Just since 1980, when we started keeping it on a computer, over a million dollars to the university. Probably gave that much before we had computer records. And every month we get a large check from this church to help support us. And we are deeply grateful for that. And how God connects the dots is absolutely incredible. There was a young man who used to sit right over in that area when I would preach every Sunday morning. He was only 19 years of age when he started coming here in, in 1980. Uh, uh, let's see, 1979, I think he started here at the church. Only 19 years of age. He was a guy that uh, was really uh, brilliant in computers, went on up the, the ladder. I won't mention his name, but uh, he uh, went on to be very strong in the support of the university. And when we got in the process of moving, he became our board chair. He was a member of this congregation, moved on up, and he gave over $12 million to the university to make the move possible. He got another guy to match his gift, and he continues to give millions of dollars today to make it possible for the university to go forward. That's because he was at Central Christian Church as a lukewarm Christian guy who got on fire from the Lord and now is a CEO of a company of 27,000 people here in the Los Altos area. And uh, he uh, has been a great personal friend and a help to us. I say all of this because it is stunning to see what you guys started here, what you guys have hung with for 80 years and the different generations now gone on before us, some now to come on after us, is to see what God has done. It is absolutely incredible. Central Christian Church did all of this because you guys have been faithful to him and uh, the values that gave birth to Central are still in place and here's just a few of them passionate prayer that you did today biblical truth commitment to that authentic relationships to Christ and to one another and to a hurting world global passion and a persistent dedication thank you Thank you, thank you for your faithfulness to the living God. Thank you for what you meant to our family and to me personally, for the millions of lives literally that you have touched and for the future that he has planned for you under this marvelous new leadership that he has brought to you. And I can't wait to see how God's going to lead you down that pathway to make an impact with a new voice here in Silicon Valley, a renewed voice, a voice that's going to make a difference to change the very landscape of eternity. And I stand here, I had a trouble during the song service uh, not choking up and shedding a tear because of all that you have contributed, not only to my life and family, but to the kingdom of God and the legacy that has developed. Central Christian Church in heaven is going to have a huge spot marked out for you of people who have been touched and become a part of God's family. Well, I conclude my part of this presentation with just a statement about Dad here. I have his Bible, Bill Jessup, given to him by my mother, and it has in here a sermon 
that, we preached, that he preached in Morgan Hill, and three of us were to preach that night at a church there to talk about how to pass the baton to the next generation. And Dad talked about love, he talked about joy, and he talked about peace. And this was the last sermon that he would ever preach. I want to have you hear the last words that my dad spoke on planet Earth. After 63 years of marriage, yes, we've had problems. Every couple, I know the old life comes back to all of us at times. But when we do, we see those times where we say, Lord, forgive me. And the willingness of one another within that home to forgive each other and to forgive each other, to uphold each other, to pray for each other, to live with each other, to love more as the days come and go. I think of that old song, and I told my wife the other day, I like to sing this, and sweeter as the years go by, as you build on these principles, even though one or the other may become physically incapacitated, that love is stronger than ever before. And I believe, Christian friends, that there isn't any problem that two Christian people can have who possess the mind of Christ and the spirit of Christ. There isn't any problem but what those two can solve at the feet of Jesus Christ. Those words, and he would sit down the right-hand side, second row at the church in Morgan Hill, and I got up to speak, and we had no idea that I would get halfway through my message and he would have a heart attack. He would die that evening. You'll hear my last words here, and we don't normally play this as we've shared together before in churches about this event, but wanted to share it with you. You'll hear my last words, and then at the end of, of my words, uh, you'll hear his last breaths. And then I say something really spiritual. You'll hear it on the tape. Let me close with a story, Leo Tolstoy. Wrote a story about a successful peasant farmer who was not satisfied with his lot. He wanted more of everything. Grandpa? All right. Crud. <laughs> Did you hear me say, oh, crud? As I cradled his head and, uh, and I began to mouth-to-mouth -mouth and a Boy Scout leader did the compressions in the audience, we said goodbye to Grandpa that day, April 12, 1992. William Jessup lived a great life. Why would we share this story with you? By the way, no one has died since while I have been preaching. <laughs> Y'all keep breathing, okay? Keep, keep breathing. Why would we share this story with you? Because it's true, just as Tim said a little bit ago when he got up here, as he did a funeral for his friend that was his age. Folks, our days are numbered. We don't know. But we do know who holds tomorrow. Amen? We don't know what tomorrow holds, but we know who holds tomorrow, and we walk into it. And these values that my father just shared with you, these values, they will drive the mission of this church. And, and if some of you are looking at your watch going, wow, I hope his mission is to end quick. You're right. It is. I have just a few words to share with you because one of the values of this church is God's word. Amen? And that's what we want. Don't want to just tell you about the past. We want to challenge you into the future. Values. Now, I value this church too. As my father said, I was married here. I was ordained here into ministry. It was here that men like Harold Nepper, Don Hinkle, and others showed to me the value of leading young people. 
And it became a challenge in my life and a mission in my life. And I love this church so much, I hung your banner in our gym. Check this out. Is it on the slide? That hangs in our gym. Not too bad, huh? Up in Rockland. Don't be too impressed. 128 of those are hanging now. <laughs> Which is really cool. Do you understand? You set the standard that a church should, could, could support the college. Now there's 128 churches. And I get to preach at many of them, telling them what is happening, just as my father told you what has happened. And it is exciting. This next picture, 1,700 students. There's 1,200 of them in that picture. 1,700 students now. And it is not an exaggeration to say that school would not exist if it were not for this church. Folks, you, you started this. You started this because you had value in people. You know, I came over to take Tim out to lunch, as he mentioned, when he first got into the, to the pulpit here. And I said, i got to go meet this guy. I came over, and I took him out to lunch. I said, Tim, why San Jose? Why, 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 would, why would you move here? I expected him to say things like, well, we have some family in the area. We want to be closer. Or that, you know, if you get a home here, the value is going to skyrocket. Or, or I love the weather in the Bay Area. You know what he did? He looked across when I said, why San Jose? He looked at me and he said, Jim, there's 1.7 million people who don't know the Lord in this valley. I, I, I was almost taken back by it. That that's his value. That's what he values. Your values will shape your mission. Let me share this quick message with you. Your, your values will shape your mission. What you value, it will shape what you do. What is your mission? What's your purpose in life? William Barclay said there are two great days in a person's life. The day he is born and the day he understands why. The day he is born and the day he understands why. We're all on a mission. And our values will drive our mission in life. Let me tell you quickly what your mission is not. There's two things that it is not. As I've watched people wander through this life... Endlessly on different missions as they're driving right now on this street in Meridian. They're all on a mission to brunch, to maybe their church service, to the store, to the mall. They have a mission, and you do too. Here's what your mission is not, though. It is not your career. And we can fall into that too, brothers and sisters, where we can start to think that what I do is my mission in life. My career is my mission. That's not your mission. Your career is not your mission. And if you value your career too highly, it can easily become your mission. And if you believe that your career is your mission, what will you do if you get fired? What will you do if you get laid off? What will you do when you retire? Are you no longer on mission as a Christ follower? Do you have no purpose in life then? Because you have now retired? No. Your career is a tool to fulfill the mission that God has for your life. Your career is a tool. Here's another thing it's not. It's not to seek happiness. Your mission in life, and this is, I'm guilty of this. Often I get up and I want to do what will make me happy today. Seeking pleasure, seeking happiness, seeking comfort. And it is not to seek it. For as Solomon said, anyone who would seek after happiness will forever be seeking. When that's your mission in life, to seek after it, it's probably why Jesus said on multiple occasions, he who seeks to find his life will lose it. But he who would lose his life for my sake will find it. You see, happiness is found in positive circumstances. Very true. That's why we love to do vacations. We love to have experiences. We love to buy things. Happiness is found in positive circumstances. But true joy, if that's what you're really looking for, and I believe you are, as I do, true joy is a byproduct of being on the right mission. 
It comes from being on the right mission. Too often we seek happiness in a what instead of joy in a who in Christ. So if you value your faith in God and you value his children, then your mission, my mission, the mission of Central Christian Church is to glorify God. Is to glorify God. And that's what my grandfather set out to do. By starting this church, by starting the college, they will all be done for the glory of God. Jesus stated our mission based on his values. Jesus stated our mission based on his values when in Matthew chapter 5, he gave the Sermon on the Mount and he said that you are the light of the world. And then he would go on to say, let your light shine. Let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. You remember this one? This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. Where's your light? This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine, let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. Some of you know it very well. Don't let Satan it out, right? Shine all around the neighborhood. And as I grew in this church, you know what I found was that um, I wasn't sure what this was. What is this? Is this what I'm supposed to do? Walk around the neighborhood like this? What I saw as Christians got older and me as well, we started taking our finger and we started pointing it more often at others. And then I saw some who gave up on their faith and they used the other finger when they were driving. <laughs> I'm sure you don't do that, right? But how is it that you glorify God? Let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. I don't know what that will look like, how you will let your light shine. I don't know how it will look. It's you do this, Central Christian Church, in the coming years. But I do know this. You may be the only Bible some people will ever read in this valley. You may be the only Bible some people will ever read. The way in which you let your light shine. Little girl was headed home from church with her daddy one day. She said, Daddy, I don't understand this something the preacher said. He said that God is bigger than all of us. Is that true? And he, he said, yeah, honey, that's true. God's bigger than all of us. Well, then he said, God lives inside each one of us. Is that true? He said, well, yeah, honey, that's true too. God lives inside each one of us. She frowned for a minute. She thought about it. And she said, Daddy, if God is bigger than all of us, and he lives inside of us. Shouldn't he show through? Not bad. When you think about how you came to faith in God, when I think about how I came to faith in God, you know, it wasn't just because I read a certain verse at one time. Oh, that helped put me over the edge. Or maybe that in, in my decision, or maybe there was a great song that you heard, or maybe a great sermon that you heard, but most likely it was a combination of those things and the fact that you saw someone's light shining. I saw the light shine in people in this church. And I said, you know what? I want to be like that. I want, I want that kind of hope. And I want that kind of joy. And now it's our turn, Central Christian. Paul told the church in Thessalonica something that I think he's telling you guys right now. By God's power, in 2 Thessalonians, by God's power, Paul says, he, that is God, may fulfill every good purpose of yours and every act prompted by your faith. How how will the good purposes be fulfilled? How will these acts be prompted by our faith? By God's power in you, in this church. Paul says, we, that's Paul and his followers, we, we pray this so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be what? Glorified, Glorified in you. 
Paul's praying this that it may be glorified in you because of what you do, your light shining, God will be glorified. But it's hard, isn't it? Oh, it's hard in this world. It's a materialistic world, and it's a fallen, sinful world. And you may even say to yourself, Jim, I'm trying, man. At my job, it's hard, though. Nobody believes in God at my job. It's so hard for me to shine my light. It's so hard in my own home. Even my own family is not sure about this God that you're talking about. And so I'm trying, Jim, but it's hard. I get it. This Christian businessman, he would go into work every day, and there was this old man who had a little bagel stand. He could tell that the old man, that's all that he had, very little in life. But this Christian businessman, he had much. And he thought to himself, how can I bless this guy? How can I glorify God? He thought, I'll buy a bagel every morning. So he'd drop a dollar in this basket and he would take a bagel to help the man out. But after a while, that was too much bread, too many carbs, right? So he decided then, you know what, I guess I got plenty of money. I'm just going to give this guy a dollar every morning. And he puts the dollar in the basket, smiles at the guy, but doesn't take a bagel. Puts a dollar in the basket, Smiles at the guy, but doesn't take a bagel. He's just hoping that the bagel stand owner is seeing something. As he drops a dollar in the basket and smiles at him, but doesn't take a bagel. And one day he dropped the dollar in the basket and the bagel stand owner looked at him and said, Oh, sir, excuse me. And the guy said, All right, here we go. I bet you're wondering why I keep dropping a dollar in the basket, but I don't take a bagel. And the bagel stand owner said, No, not really. I just wanted to let you know they're a buck fifty now. You, you, you may be trying, folks. You with me? I'm, I mean, I'm with you. I understand. This is not an easy thing to do. There's people driving by right now who are saying, why are you in this church? Why are you listening to some guy yap at you about a God that you cannot see? Yet, Central, you have some vintage values that are supposed to drive your mission to glorify God. Let me give you this quick chart. I'm going to go through this really fast here. Because when I saw this, it really helped me. And we're going to close with this. This chart is fantastic. It is about how you can and how you should be glorifying God as you mature in Him. You see, it's a cycle. Healthy things, they grow. Healthy things grow. And if we're talking about taking our values and making it a mission, because it will drive your mission, healthy things will grow, including this church. You look at your kids. When they're healthy, they grew. Your business that you work at, if it's healthy, it grows, even if only to keep up with inflation or the cost of living. But it's going to grow. Your own body. Well, hopefully you've stopped growing up. Some of us are growing out now. (laughs) Not that I've noticed. But anyways, you are still growing no matter how old you are. You still get haircuts because your hair will grow if you're healthy. You still will have fingernails and toenails that will grow. Skin cells will continue to grow until you die. If you are healthy, you grow. And you know what? The church, if it's healthy, it's going to grow. And it should grow. Both in numbers and in spiritual depth that you might glorify God better every day. Healthy things grow, but you know what happens? Growing things, they change. They change. Yeah. Look at your kids. They look so much different than they did a year ago, two years ago. You looked in the mirror lately? You've changed. Healthy things grow and growing things They change, and so will this church. And you just hired a new pastor to come in, and I believe in this guy because I believe his values. When he told me there were people that need the Lord instead of that I wanted a great place for my family. Man, that's a value. It's a value. And so things are going to change around here. I believe it, 
And I'm here to kind of be the guy to warn you a little bit. <laughs> Things are going to change. Because when they're healthy and they grow, what's going to happen? They're going to change. Now, here's the kicker. Change can cause pain. You with me? Yeah, you go to work and you find out your job is doing really good last year, so now they need to divide your division or whatever. They're going to divide your department or they need you to go to another town or they need to do something. You get a new boss. Well, healthy things grew. Those growing things, they changed. And when it changed, it caused pain. And when you walk in here and someone's sitting in your seat, you with me? Come on, I know you have your seat. I know you have your seat because I recognize a lot of you and I know that's right where you sit every Sunday. And when this place grows, because I believe it's going to grow, healthy things grow, growing things, they change. And it's going to be painful when you walk in and someone's in your seat. Don't tell them to move over. Huh? I mean, I'm telling you right now because that happened at a church I was a pastor at. And I tell you, I just about beat up somebody in Jesus' name. When you have someone sitting in your seat, you love on them and you say, that is awesome. Can I sit next to you? Because healthy things are going to grow, growing things, they will change, and that change will cause pain. Here's the thing, though, you might choose to do, and a lot of people do this. When your job doesn't go so well, it's healthy, it's growing, but there's change, and you don't like it, sometimes what do you do? Well, find me a new job. I'll go work somewhere else. I don't like these changes. You know what's unfortunate? People do that with the church, too. You don't embrace the change. Things are going to change whether you like it or not. If you've lived here for a long time in San Jose, man, has it changed. We were marveling at the changes as we drove here this morning. It will change. And you have a choice if you want. You could step out of that cycle. You could just step back and say, you know, forget it. I'm going to spectate for a while. I'm going to watch what happens. What Tim and the elders and the leaders of this church do. I'm just going to watch for a while and see what happens because I don't like it. And it's painful to me because that's not what I'm used to. And you like the church to say the same because when life is all messed up, it's great to come to a place that hasn't changed in years, isn't it? And that's not what the church is about. The church needs to change because why? Because it's growing. Because it's healthy. Because it's healthy and it's growing and it changes and there's pain, what you need to do is you need to rely on God. You trust Him. And when you trust God and you say, God, I don't understand it. I don't get this music that Scott's playing now. I don't understand why we're doing this order has changed, the way we do services, our priorities and what we're doing for uh, ministry in this valley is changing. You say, God, you know what? I'm going to trust you. And you know what it is when you trust him? What happens? Come on, it's right there on the chart. It's healthy. It's healthy. Do you understand what happens, though? Because you've stuck in the cycle, what's going to happen next? It's going to grow. And then what will happen? There's going to be more change. But because you trusted the first time, you're going to find it easier and easier to trust because you know God's walking with you. Now, don't picture this as a circle that's a, a cycle of insanity. Picture it as a spiral. It's a spiral, man. And you stay in this spiral and you're getting closer and closer to the mind of God, to the heart of God, to understand the love of God because your values will drive your mission. May they be the values that this church was founded upon. And may they be a mission that will glorify God. Amen? Amen. Father, thank you for the chance for me to share. Thank you, Father, for the history of this church. But, Father, I thank you more for the future. Because we know you have it in your hands. 
Father, there's a great future for this church because there are so many driving by right now who need to know of your love. They need to know of the grace they can find in this church, the acceptance, the forgiveness that they would find in coming to you. And Father, in all of that, with those as our values of this church, may we be on a mission to glorify you. Father, I pray you bless and keep the leaders of this church, the folks who have given so much time, so much energy, and so much life because they valued this church, because they valued you. Would you be with them, bless them, keep them, and help them, Father, to continue to stay in the cycle of growth pointed towards you. In your son's name, amen. God bless you. Amen, amen.